0: There are the closing doors, please. Hi. Welcome to Bitch with, a New York-based dating podcast where I, your host Mitchie, and my guests explore the complicated, fun, magical, and sometimes just downright fucked aspects of dating in new york city hi and happy pride to all of our listeners for those of you who don't know i actually identify as queer and as a queer woman i am always interested in finding more spaces and events that welcome and celebrate those who are part of the lgbtq community So, you could only imagine my delight when I heard about Hags, which is a queer, fine dining restaurant located right here in New York City. So join me for today's episode where I get to speak to Camille Lindsley, part owner of Hags, about two of my favorite things, food and queerness. All right. Thank you so much for coming on today's podcast, Camille. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. I'd love to.
1: Thanks, Michi. My name is Camille Lindsley. I use she, her pronouns. I am one of the founders, owners of Hags, a super teeny tiny, very queer, tasting mini restaurant in the East Village in New York. I also do all of the sort of front of house beverage side of things, partner, telly justice. Um, She is the executive chef and other co-owner. We've been together for seven years. We met working down in restaurants in Atlanta, where I am from, and she and I fell in love very quickly and... Never, never necessarily like thought we would be opening a restaurant in New York City together. We always thought we wanted to, to open some kind of small weirdo niche restaurant concept. Our initial idea was to open a haunted bed and breakfast in Savannah, Georgia, which still may be the retirement plan. <laughs> but um, yeah, right now we are almost one year or uh, almost at our one year mark of, of hags existing, which is absolutely mind blowing.
0: That's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I'm sad I couldn't meet Telly today, but I look forward to meeting her in the future. Um, so before we dive more into talking about hugs, I wanted to hear more about your relationship to queerness and how that's evolved since opening the restaurant.
1: Absolutely. I think I I came out later in life and I think for me, I definitely had the very classic case of like wanting to be a very good ally and like being friends and mentored by like a ton of other very important, like and dear queer folks in my life. I
0: am lucky, and then I
1: think I've had a relationship to the queer community for a long time, but thought that for myself that I didn't feel like queer enough to come out, and that that I think kind of discouraged me from finding a place in the queer community. Um, I think especially as um, a more femme presenting cis woman who has dated men before, um, that that definitely, I, I don't know, I feel, I felt a lot of imposter syndrome uh, myself in, in claiming a queer identity. And I think that it's been really, really like interesting to see how, like opening this business and having this like flag planted um if you will with hags that i feel so much more comfortable in that part of my identity and excited to see like how that evolves as i get older and more comfortable but yeah i i think that there's no coincidence and that like my longest term relationship by a very long shot has been with telly uh a woman a, a trans woman and I really, uh, when I think about, like, the dating that I did in my early 20s with men, I am like, oof, I was doing to hurt myself. <laughs> and that's bad. <laughs> and, like, having that sort of time to reflect in a, like, secure long-term relationship is, has been really helpful in sort of understanding, wow, how deeply ingrained heteronormativity is and, uh, and it, how, how it traps us all. It, it's, like, got many, many smears.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I can definitely understand and relate being like femme and queer myself. Um, Did you feel that imposter syndrome was something that was all in your head? Or did you feel that there were people around you that fed into that imposter syndrome because you were femme presenting and you had been an ally for so long?
1: Absolutely both. And I remember like being a teenager my my best best friend um she and I like played in punk bands together, and she was out as queer um and she i remember we like played this show once um and we i think like got dropped by this other band that was like of queer women and I remember my best friend being like, oh, it's absolutely because like we wear dresses and like I'm so, like, pissed off at the, you know, like, this attitude of, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't, like, look the right way to be considered uh, queer. And that definitely, to me, unlocked this sort of moment of, like, oh, I see how, like, more femme-leaning folks are just, like, automatically seen as straight. And I think that I myself am even guilty of that. Um, I think that it's just something that is, that we're also deeply conditioned. Something that I've been ruminating on a little bit more recently is as someone who sort of, I would say is overall pretty, pretty femme, but I I definitely do lean butch pretty often as well. Uh, Pretty, pretty butchy. as uh, maybe the audio is catching on or not. Um, but something that Telly and I both talk about as fellow Futch women is that oftentimes something that I, I feel like I really kind of lament being in a labor field is how hard it is to present as as femme as either of us really want when we're working like, you know, 14 hours a It's like I do. I wish I had the time to like put on makeup, but like that's that's not going to last the whole day. <laughs> it's not going to last the whole day. And like jeans are just the more practical thing to wear, um, especially when it's like you know you got to take the trash out through the hatch at the end of the night, like I don't want to wear anything too nice um, that i I feel like I would really care about so I, I feel like it's it's interesting being in um, being in a restaurant and and I feel like something that I have had discussions with other restaurant workers is like how much the work aspect kind of drives your presentation, no matter how you identify and like, no matter how, where, where you fall on this sort of like on the foot scale, if you will.
0: Yeah. Cause it sounds like on, on either end of that spectrum, like you don't get the full reign to present yourself the way that you want.
1: Yeah. And I think that sometimes there is a, like a nice sort of like healthy separation with like, this is, you know, like me outside of work, and this is me at work. And while I think that, in a way, something that was really a huge motivator for us creating Hags in the first place was to have less of that compartmentalization of feeling as if in traditional fighting places, it's very hard to be gender deviant and like in any kind of way. Like if you are a cis who doesn't shave their legs like me, then you are like looked at in a certain different way, like in very traditional fine of places. And that's just sort of like one iota of like gender deviance. If you're someone who's trans or gender non-conforming, like those spaces are super, super unwelcoming and not hospitable uh, to work in or really to, to be in.
0: And so we wanted to
1: create a place where, you know, we were still taking a lot of pride in the craft of, the food and the service and the beverage program, um, but not having to have it be like at the at the sacrifice of like who we are as queer people. And I think that it's something that has been really like fulfilling and, and important to do. But I think it's also important to like be able to hold certain parts myself um, outside of just being someone who works a lot. And I think that that's something that Telly might have
0: have found is like really super important to the work of us. Yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, you are more than your job. And I think that like, it's very hard for many people to separate their identity away from their work. I think your identity and work can coincide and can interact with each other. Um, like, I'm someone who I'm a makeup artist and I, yeah. <laughs> um, so if you want side note, if you do want, products that would last longer. <laughs> okay.
1: Yes, Elise was telling me that she met you at like a um like makeup sample thing or something like that. Um and I was like,
0: oh my God, this person sounds so cool. Oh yeah, yeah. I freelance for myself as a makeup artist and I yeah. also work for as a makeup artist. So I met Elise at and um it's so funny because especially in that space I had to present They posh, like, in a specific way. Not that that, that's not a part of me, but definitely there are days where I dread going to work because it's so focused on the way that I look because I work in the beauty industry. And so sometimes I get the opposite of that where it's like I don't want to be perceived or I don't want to think about my body. I don't feel like putting on makeup But in order to like
1: be someone who other people see as like a respected authority on what you're doing, you have to look a certain way.
0: Exactly. Um, Yeah. Well, especially in that space. But what I think I do love about working on sets is that no one cares what you look like. Like as long as yeah, (laughs) that's like the sweet spot where it's like they don't care what you look like um, because you're here to do a job. And I think that in they
1: care about the work they don't care about like your presentation
0: no they don't care about my presentation i think that's so liberating yeah, yeah. <laughs> super yeah. liberating but all that to say definitely if you want some recs on like some products that will help your makeup last longer I got you. can totally let you in. But speaking of presentation, it's funny that you brought that up because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. I think typically when we think of fine dining, there are a lot of words attached to that, such yeah. as like luxury and wealth and dress codes. Yes. Very much a part of fine dining.
1: thousand percent. It's very interesting because I think that there are not like a ton of fine dining places anymore that have like strict dress codes, but they certainly exist. And I used to work like at a wine bar adjacent to one of them that had a dress code. And those dress codes are just like very, very racist and very classist. And like, it's kind of a way for those kinds of institutions to have certain unwritten rules. If you are this kind of person, you're not welcome here. Um, Be somewhat explicit to a point where like they're not basically saying like, If you are not a conservative, white, straight person who, who appears that way, like you can't come here and like, we're not going to treat you in the same way. And I think that it's been really something that I find to be like the most, the most powerful thing about hags to me is as someone who is in the dining room almost every single night, how many people come in who are serious diners who are queer and they say so frequently that like, this is the most welcome they've ever felt in a dining situation. And it, it just sucks that like, they're you know, like, of course, that is, that is, that is the case that like, um, even people who are in the industry or serious diners who, you know, are, their money's the same as anyone else's that, they get treated less than at these certain institutions that just like you know would rather not have people who like look outside of them before, uh, in, in their dining rooms um which is so so stupid too when you like think about i was having a discussion with some other like folks on staff in the front of house about how during the pandemic people have like giant teddy bears in seats in dining rooms to do social distancing or like the in at little washington had a bunch of like Madame Tussaud's wax figures to like have in the dining room and like somehow that's okay. What? I'm like, Yes, you can look up pictures. It is it's nightmare fuel. <laughs> it's crazy. crazy. it's like, that stuff, you know, like certainly time and place, but like that that those places, you know, would be in some instances like maybe more welcoming of literal inanimate diners than like diners of, you know, any kind of gender deviance. Which Hey, I don't know. That's the lovely woman. It's a
0: fucked up, pretty place. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because it's, especially when it comes to restaurants that are like known for their fine dining. Like, I understand having a dress code in the sense of like if you want a certain ambiance, but I think a lot of times it's more insidious because it's wealth signaling. You're, you're signaling that you are a part of a certain class and you're also signaling like certain ideals. Um, And it's not not meant to be inclusive. So, I mean, I'm so fascinated. How did you and Telly take something that is known exclusively for not being (laughs) inclusive? And how do you then turn that to be a space that is inclusive? What does fine dining mean to you? I think for me, fine dining... Uh,
1: is more about like the care and intention and atti- like attention to detail and pride and like creative, passionate work and creating like meaningful memories around dinners for people. Um, I think that one of the reasons why I fell in love with this industry was being like, wow, there is such an amazing power to being like, I can like. Turn this dinner into like a really special and memorable experience for total strangers, acquaintances, friends, um, and there's just like no, no feeling like it. Um, it's incredibly rewarding, and that to me is like what hospitality is about. Um, I feel like um, I was a I was big like I was a literature major in college, and always really loved like all the crazy Greek mythology tales where it's like there's a big dinner party and the Greeks were like so into hospitality and so frequently like gods would show up in disguise at these events and the standard practice was to like be as hospitable to everybody as possible because you never know who's in front of you and like to never assume that you know who the person is in front of you and I think that having that mentality has led me into like some really Interesting friendships and like business partnerships with folks. Um, and if you like just let people surprise you, like you can be like pleasantly surprised by, I don't know, just like building this relationship with people. And I think, I mean, there are a million different things that we do here at HAGS that I, I think um, help create a more inclusive feeling space. For one, we do have uniforms for the staff that are not necessarily gender specific, but they're more sort of like these red maroon chore, like long chore coats or like like lab coats basically. They're they're great, they're very utilitarian. They have like tons of pockets. <laughs> and uh and they're not white, which I, I feel like I've worked in places before where like the uniform is white and that feels like super stuffy. Like you can't, I don't know, like working with wine especially
0: it's nuts. Like Yeah, I am like I feel like that's counterintuitive. It's so
1: counterintuitive. Um and like the reason why chef whites are the way they are is like due to the, the French brigade system when like someone in the military died would bleach their jacket and wear that not that, like that's where chef's coats came from oh. as far as I know maybe fact check me on that but <laughs> <laughs> that's that's well, the lore um but yeah for front of us I mean for anybody it really doesn't make any sense but having uh having a uniform that is like both utilitarian and also is something that um, our staff can wear kind of like whatever they want underneath it. We have like a, a loose kind of broad rule of like no graphics or logos um, on whatever you wear, but like otherwise, you know, we have we have people on staff who like will wear like chokers, like posture colors, and stuff like that, um, and a lot of our staff is like very overtly clear and they feel comfortable being that way. And a lot of our guests feel very comfortable like freaking it up for hags, which I love and like love to see the looks. Um, we have pronoun pins on the table. So like as soon as you settle in, that's like one of the first things you see is that like, it's this is a space where you can be whoever you wanna be. We have a fun house mirror in the bathroom. So it's sort of like, I think a a fun sort of way to just like, I don't know, poke fun at uh, a space where a lot of people maybe go to surveil themselves. But yeah, it's just sort of like a fun fun tongue in cheek. Um, Yeah, we we all have like a ton of like crazy mirrors in the hallway too that are like uh, oriented so that it's definitely like trippy. A lot of, like, mirror play, I think, is a fun way to sort of um, poke fun at, like, self, um, self-conscious, like, self-image when you're in one of these, like, luxury spaces.
0: Yeah. And, it should, and it's playful. Like, you yeah. should be enjoying yourself. Because I think yeah. that's what I love about going out to eat and, and dining in general. Like, I think it's an enjoyable experience. And I'm a big food lover love love trying new food yeah love trying new food love the overall experience of like going out having a drink catching up with someone or like sharing the latest gossip or just like hearing about people or getting to know people over food I think is such a like beautiful um way to connect with people a
1: thousand percent I mean we've been we've been doing this in like every culture across history for forever, you know, like food is how we commune together. And I think that there's so much you can do with food as a medium around like collective organizing. Kelly and I both did Food Not Bombs as teenagers, which is this sort of like anarchist food collective movement. Um, there are chapters all over the world where basically people will gather together, assemble food, and distribute it for free in parks. And so like every every Sunday we have sort of taken inspiration from this way to to share food with people. So every Sunday we actually have a different style of service called Pay What You Can Sundays, where we have a rotating menu of a la carte food. There are no reservations, kind of like the opposite of of what we do Tuesday through Saturday. No reservations, you order at the bar. You can pay whatever you want for food, including nothing. And it's kind of like a great way for the chefs to cook something that maybe they have had a hand for or just feel like making and sharing with folks. We've had guest psalms and other guest chefs come in. Um, and there's like a, a, a crew of regulars who come in like every single Sunday. Um, a lot of folks who are maybe like Brooke NYU students. Or um, uh, like homeless folks who need like more sort of consistent support in terms of meal assistance, um, and yeah, like a lot of people from the industry too, who you know a lot of us live paycheck to paycheck. Um, so it's it's a great day, and I think like um, it's very intentional that we have at the end of the week, so we sort of have this like daily or weekly reminder of why it is that we do this and that. Outside of just fine dining, that food is just this incredibly like important tool. Everybody eats, and um, it's I think important to see food as something as powerful as it is.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful, and I'm. I think it's amazing that um, even though um, you know, you have this fine dining experience that if people want to partake in and they want to enjoy and kind of treat themselves like that is available to them, but, you know, providing like a day and a space for those who don't have that to still enjoy themselves. And I think that's, what's also really important is that even if you don't have the wealth or maybe you're listening to this podcast episode and you want to visit hags, but maybe you're not in the best financial state to, go and enjoy the full course meal, you still deserve to enjoy nice things. I think people who are not wealthy still deserve to have small luxuries is kind of how I describe them. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, that's something that everyone should be able to partake in. Um, So yeah, I love that. Camille, is there anything that you wanted to... Say to our listeners who want to book a reservation at Hags,
1: yeah, absolutely. I um definitely encourage everybody to come out on Sundays, it is my favorite day of the week. We open Sundays at 5 p.m. and go until we sell out of food, which this, yeah, yesterday was very early, <laughs> we sold out at like seven o'clock, but usually we sell out, you know, eight eight or so. We'll keep, you know, hanging out and pouring wine um, for like a, uh, a little bit after that. But definitely come through. It's a nice day. You can take your food to go. We're like a block away from Tompkins, which is always a fun place to hang out and for a picnic. Um, you're welcome to book with us for our tasting menu on Resi. We're open Tuesday through Saturday. First seating is at 6 p.m. Um, we do our last meeting at 9.45 Um, And then I'm not sure, Michi, when you're airing this episode, but we do have a couple of very exciting things going on in June that I would love to let the cat out of the bag of a bit. Um, We're going to be doing a uh, dinner with the James Beard Foundation platform out in Pier 57. Um, Yeah, on uh, June 7th, the day before on the 6th, we're doing a fun panel, a little chat there at the at platform. We're additionally doing a pay-what-you-can-to-benefit the Dyke March on Sunday the 18th. And then we have a partnership in the works with Sona, which is a queer-owned Indian fine dining restaurants on the 21st. And probably more, we're mm-hmm. over-committers. <laughs>
0: oh, I mean, that all sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to be trying to put out this episode as soon as possible and so excited for all the things that are coming that you guys are participating in for pride and thank you so much for being on today's podcast episode and i'm excited for the future of queer fine dining and excited for the future of hags
1: me too thank you so much michi for having me on it was such a treat to get to chat with you
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm going to plug all the information um, for all those listening. If you want to reserve with Hags, um, we'll be adding all their information in our outro. Awesome. Thanks so
1: much, Michi. It was a pleasure to chat.
0: Thank you so much. Bye. (laughs) To learn more about any of the events that Camille has mentioned or to make a reservation at Hags, head over to their Instagram and their website. You can find them on Instagram at hags underscore NYC. You can also find them online. Their website is hagsnyc.com. To keep up with all things Bitchwick, please follow us on Instagram and on TikTok. It'll be Bitchwick Podcast. And for any advertising inquiries please email us at bwpodcastnyc.com.